We love to explain quantum physics and the mysteries of the universe, but the mysteries of finance, not so much. Intuit helps you demystify your finances through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Understanding standard deductions or interest rates can be very complicated and tricky with big potential consequences. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. What's up? This your boy, Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement yet remind folks to never forget to laugh every tuesday listen to conversation with unk hosted by lil duval on the black effect podcast network iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcast presented by at&t connecting changes everything Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Hey, Daniel, do you get tired of answering questions? Oh, never. I love our listener questions. I just mean questions in general, like uh, about the universe, about your personal life. Or like this question you're asking me now? <laughs> yeah, or from your podcast host partner. <laughs> no, people ask me questions all the time, but it's fun to answer them, you know? Sometimes I wish I got asked more science questions, you know? Sometimes the questions are more prosaic. But about your kids? Do your kids constantly pester you with science questions too? I wish they asked more, you know? It's the occasional, like, what does a black hole look like? But more often it's like, can I have more dessert or... How come my sister gets to use the iPad more than I do? <laughs> and, and the answer is always the same. Nobody knows. <laughs> we have no we have idea. No idea. <laughs> they're kind of physics questions too, aren't they? Like um, they're about time. Who gets more time on the iPad or? Matter, yeah. Who gets more dessert, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And uh, Chaos. What about you? Do your kids ask you science questions? Uh, they do, yeah. Pretty, pretty often, I think. My kids... Um, like to read and sometimes they kind of make connections in their head and they ask me questions. And uh, what do you do when they ask you questions if you don't know the answer? What do you mean? You assume that I don't know the answers? <laughs> I often don't know the answers, so I assume uh, not everybody <laughs> has all the answers, sure. No, uh, well, I, I do my best, I guess. Um, and um, uh, mainly I just tell them to send their questions into our podcast so that <laughs> you can answer them. <laughs> That sounds good. I'm glad to be your backup science parent. I mean, what's the whole point of befriending a physicist if not to get these questions answered? I, I mean, knew why you else just... would you want to be friends with a physicist? <laughs> I knew I felt used. Now I know why. Hi, I'm Jorge. 
Shohei. I'm a cartoonist and the creator of PhD Comics. Hi, I'm Daniel. I'm a particle physicist and a backup science parent for many people out there. And welcome to our podcast, Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe, a production of iHeartRadio. In which we take funny, weird, amazing, crazy things about the universe and explain them to you so that you can explain them to your kids. Or your parents. Yeah. Or uh, just sit them down with uh, with our podcast as free babysitting. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So uh, we, we love answering questions, right, Daniel? Oh, yeah. It's really fun because we can think about the universe and we can talk about what's exciting for us. But the most is interesting is answering questions from listeners because it reveals what they understand and what they don't and what they're wondering about. What all those collective brains out there are cognating on. Yeah, so if you don't know this already, uh, we actually answer people's questions. Uh, if we, we have an Instagram account, a Twitter account, a Facebook account, and if you post a question, uh, well, first of all, follow us there. Uh, but if you post a question, most likely uh, Daniel will answer the question. Right, Daniel? Or at least maybe one of your grads. <laughs> That's right. No, I'll answer questions via email or Twitter or Facebook. I'll be honest, though, I don't use Instagram. So all those people asking physics <laughs> questions on Instagram are just questioning into the void. Sorry, folks. The question is, does anyone use Instagram anymore now that I don't? <laughs> I think the question is, who doesn't use Instagram these days? <laughs> just me, I guess. <laughs> I guess just physicists. No, but it's wonderful. We hear questions from all over the world. And sometimes they're questions people just had in their minds. They wanted to know the answers to, and those are wonderful. But also sometimes the questions are in reaction to something we talked about on the show. And, you know, on the show, we do our best to think, what's confusing about this? How do we explain this? How do we make something clear? But we never can completely succeed. So it's really nice to have feedback when people say, you said X, but then I, that made me wonder why. And uh, that helps us be more clear in the future. So please send us feedback, send us questions, send us presents, send us gags, send us whatever you like. <laughs> Mostly just send us money, please. <laughs> I mean, how much do you think podcasting me? Uh, <laughs> podcasters me. That's right. And sometimes people send us serious questions about the universe. And then sometimes people send us silly questions. Yeah, like what's been a silly question? All right, here's a question we got on Twitter from Patrick Neumann. He says... Dear Daniel and Jorge, I've got a question that really want to get answered. How heavy would a blob or banana be of all of the photons in the sun and how big would it be? Ooh, interesting. <laughs> so if you took all the photons in the sun and somehow, what do you think, transform them into a banana or put them in, in, in a space, shape them into a banana? What, what do you think he's asking? <laughs> I don't know. I actually started trying to work on this question. And first I thought, well, how many photons are in the sun, right? Like, is that a number? Oh. Um, you know, and it's pretty tough, but it turns out you can do a rough calculation and the sun creates 10 to the 45 photons per second. Whoa. That's 10 with 45 zeros. Yeah. That's a lot of photons. That's a lot of like trillion Bazillions. Bajillions, yes, exactly. Bananillions. Bananians. Um, yeah, exactly. But not all those photons escape the sun. You know, the sun is a huge ball of mm. plasma, and most of the stuff that's made by the sun is then just reabsorbed by the sun. And so only things that actually mm. penetrate and leave the sun and hit your eyeballs <clears throat> arrive here on Earth. That's a tiny fraction of what comes out of the sun. But anyway, let's say you had mm. 10 to the 45 photons, okay? That's a huge amount of energy. Mm. Um, 
And then his question is interesting. He said, how big would that be, right? Like if you had a pile right. of 10 to the 45 photons. Right. How, well, how, how, how close together can you cram them in is maybe the question. Yeah, and that's really interesting because there's no limit on how close you can cram photons together. That's not true of ordinary matter, no limit. like electrons and other particles. These things are fermions. And fermions are different from photons and other kind of particles that we call bosons because fermions have to have different quantum states. No two of them can be in the same quantum state. They can't literally be on top of each other. That's impossible. That's right. They have to have some difference. Like you can have two electrons in the same level of energy in an, in an atom, but then they have, have to have different spins or something different about them. And so fermions have to be distinguishable. Whereas bosons, these are particles with integer spin, like a photon, they can be right on top of each other. They can be in exactly the same place, have the same momentum, have the same everything. I feel like the silly question has is, is gotten a little serious. Pretty yeah, serious. I, it's, it's got some serious physics. Yeah, even silly questions reveal something interesting about the universe. And so you can have mm. 10 to the 45 photons on the head of a pin, basically. Right. Or, or on top of each other, you're saying. Yes, exactly. All on top of each other in a tiny, tiny space. Mm. So thank you, Patrick, for sending in that hilarious question. It really made us think. And there really is some physics in, in that question, even in silly questions. Well, we do have three questions today from listeners. And so that is the topic of today's podcast. Today on the podcast, we'll be talking about... Listener questions. 5.0. 5 5.1. <laughs> 5.1. Because we, we just answered Patrick's question, so we got to add a little... That's right. We're partway through this episode already. Um, yeah, that's right. We'll be answering questions about electrons, about space, about stars, about black holes. Questions from far away and questions from surprisingly nearby. Yeah, and we might even know the answer to some of these questions this time. <laughs> and if we don't, we'll speculate hilariously. All right, let's jump right into it, Daniel. Our first question today is from this really pretty cool guy, fun guy, one of, maybe one of my favorite people, has a great dad. <laughs> yeah, so this is a question from uh, Oliver from Southern California. What if our whole solar system is in a black hole and we don't notice? Wow, that's a deep question. Um, his voice sounds a little familiar to me. Yeah, what a, what a smart sounding little kid. <laughs> he sounds like he might grow up to be a cartoonist. <laughs> well, not if he's that smart, hopefully. <laughs> so yeah, that's my son who just asked that question. And uh, he just turned to me one day. Well, what happened was he was reading our book. So we, uh, Daniel and I wrote a book called We Have No Idea, A Guide to the Unknown Universe, available now on Amazon.com and Local books and, and you can verify it's um, been read by at least one person since your son is reading it. That's right. That's right. He's underage, but he still counts as a person. I think. <laughs> he's nine years old. And so he's been reading our book. And, and, and I always kind of wonder how much of it he's getting. You know, he's nine. He's in third grade. Um, but he seems to be enjoying it and he keeps reading it. And so one day he just uh, turned to me and he asked me this question. Right. And uh, what do you think is behind the question? What do you think he's wondering? Explain the question to me. You mean explain my son? <laughs> <laughs> Do a deep dive. <laughs> if I knew that answer, Daniel, if I could explain my son, my parenting experience would be so much easier. No, I thought it was really interesting. One part of his question says, what if our whole solar system is in a black hole? Cool. Fascinating. Yeah. But then he says, and we, and and we, we don't, don't even, even notice. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, I think that taps into, you know, 
is the universe different from how we expected? Is it possible that we think we're living in universe X, but we're actually living in universe Y? You know, I think he was probably kind of reading about black holes and he just kind of wondered, like, what, what if, what if we're inside of a black hole? Is that possible? Like, could the universe or, or like, could, could a solar system exist inside of a black hole? And, you know, we don't even know it. Yeah. Is that and, possible? And I think there's something wonderful there about the feeling that maybe, you know, the universe could be revealed to be totally different from what you expected because that's precisely happened a lot of times in history, right? We've thought, oh, the universe works this way. Nope, it's totally different from what you imagined. And those are the best moments in physics. So to hear your son like sort of wondering if he's coming to that realization himself or wondering if this kind of realization is around the corner, that's fantastic. He's been bitten by the physics bug. So uh, be careful. Oh, no, is he going to be uh, like Spider-Man? And... <laughs> right. Well, that's only if he's bitten by a radioactive physicist. <laughs> okay, aren't they all radioactive by now? <laughs> well, I grew up in Los Alamos, so maybe I'm especially radioactive, but I'll do my best not to, yeah. not to bite your son. Yeah, but uh, let's break it down. Um, it's an interesting question, and you know, something that's important to think about is sort of the size of a black hole. Like, could our entire solar system fit into a black hole? Well, right, the size of a black hole is really, we usually consider that to be the size of the event horizon. That's the point. Right, the black stuff. Yeah, like a, the, the point of no return. If you look at a black hole, it would look like a black sort of sphere. And so the size of that sphere, that's the size of the black hole. Yeah, yeah. And if you go past that point, you can't escape, right? And, and nobody knows what's inside of a black hole, but we know how to calculate the size of the event horizon. It's determined just by the amount of stuff in the black hole. So the more mass in the black hole, the stronger the gravitational pull, the farther away it can grab stuff and never let go, right? So the size of the black hole mm -hmm. is determined by its mass. So how much stuff is in our solar system? Well, basically, the first approximation, our solar system is just a sun. Like the rest of the stuff in the solar system, Jupiter, Mars, me, you, hamsters, all that stuff is negligible. It's a tiny fraction of the mass mm -hmm. of the solar system. So basically, you can ask, like, if you had a black hole with the mass of our sun, how far away would the event horizon be? Would it be out past the edge of the black of the solar system? Is it possible to fit a solar system in a black hole that has the mass of our sun? It's sort of the way I interpret the question. So you're interpreting the question as, could our solar system be a black hole? Yeah, exactly. Could we be inside a black hole right now? Is there enough room in a black hole with the mass of the sun to fit the entire solar system? Oh, I see. So could we be in a hole where the only thing inside of it is our solar system? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Is how you're interpreting right. the question. Okay. And the answer to that is no, because a black mm. hole that has only the mass of our sun the event horizon would only be three kilometers from the center of the sun. And so mm. that definitely wouldn't be big enough to have the whole solar system in it because the solar system is a lot more than three kilometers. It's one billion kilometers wide. So we couldn't be in a black hole where the only thing in it was our solar system. But is it possible that we are, that our solar system is inside of somebody else's black hole? Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, yeah Maybe there's absolutely. a black hole out there that with a lot of mass inside of it. And we are just inside of the event horizon of that black hole floating around. Yeah, that's possible, right? But let's, let's consider that for a moment. So what if there's mm -hmm. a really dense blob somewhere else, sort of nearby, 
And that makes a black hole that's big enough to encompass us. And we're inside that black hole, right? We're, right. Yeah. Right. Well, that's possible, but it's difficult to imagine because such a huge mass would have a big effect on us. You know, if there was a, like, if there was a really big mass somewhere else inside our solar system next to the sun, like an invisible mm -hmm. huge blob of dark matter that, that made there enough mass right. so that the black hole was big enough, we would definitely notice that. That would affect the orbit of the planets. What if there was another big mass kind of far away, um, but close enough that we were still inside the event horizon? Well, you're talking about still really strong gravity. So it's hard to imagine having some enormously powerful gravitational attractor nearby and not having it disturbed like the orbits of the planets or even just tossing of baseballs and all sorts of stuff. So I think if you were inside a black hole that was big enough to hold the solar system, it would have to have a huge mass and that mass would definitely be mm -hmm. noticeable. It would affect the way things move on Earth. Would it though? Because, you know, like... um. So, so our, our solar system is moving around a galaxy, right? Like a galaxy has a lot of mass and, um, and it's huge and it, there's, a lot, there's a huge black hole in the center of the galaxy, but it's not really affecting us in a local level, right? Like that gravity is kind of spinning us around the galaxy, but it's not really changing the orbits of the planets around the sun. That's right, yeah. And that black hole in the center of the galaxy is really massive. And it's pretty big, but it's also super duper 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 far away, right? Any black hole that's either near enough to include us or far away but huge enough to include us still would definitely affect the gravitational pull. But, you know, I haven't done the calculation. Um, there is one configuration I imagine, though. Imagine our entire solar system, and then it's surrounded by some enormously dense sphere of material, Okay. If you're inside a sphere of material, then the gravitational pull of that stuff doesn't affect you at all, right? Because it all balances out. Oh. There's enough stuff on the left to balance the stuff on the right. Just like that episode we talked about See? where you jump inside the earth. Uh, once you get to the center right. of the earth, there's no gravitational force from the stuff around you, right? Mm -hmm. Well, if you had a right. sphere of super dense material surrounding the solar system, right? Then mm -hmm. that might be enough to create a black hole right, that we would be inside of, right. but we wouldn't feel the gravitational force because we'd be inside all the stuff. It'd be all around us. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, but it'd have to be perfectly <laughs> distributed, right? And the, the only reason to, the, there's one reason to think that's not the case, uh -huh. and that's that we have sent stuff outside the solar system. Like we've launched probes, right. and they're floating off into space, and we're watching them, and they haven't like banged up mm. against the, uh, the wall of some hugely massive blob of stuff. But what if you expand that idea even further to encompass the whole observable universe? It is possible then that we could be inside of a black hole. Yeah, yeah. It's possible the entire observable universe is inside a black hole. Yes. <laughs> you can't rule that out. How do you feel about saying that uh, on, on a public record? <laughs> um, I wonder if any of my colleagues are listening. <laughs> no, I think it's awesome. I, you would be surprised. <laughs> I think it's awesome. And I think sometimes these awesome questions come from the minds of children. And that's why I hope that uh, people are listening to the podcast with their kids, because kids wow. ask amazing questions that make us think about things we otherwise so, would have totally discarded that might actually be reality. Well, so, that, so that's the answer. The answer is that it is totally possible. 
that we are inside of a black hole and not know it. Yeah, but I think our whole universe would have to be inside the black hole, not just the solar system. But yeah, that's a pretty small caveat mm. for, an, for a yes answer to that question. Isn't that sort of a theory out there that we, like the whole universe are... Are inside the whole universe is inside of a black hole, and there are other black holes and, and stuff like that, or is that pretty fringe? I think it's, it is a theory out there, and it's pretty fringe, but it's also totally possible. You know, like we really just we don't know what's going on inside black holes. Are there little universes in there? No. You know, the inside of a black hole is totally disconnected from the space that we live in, right? Like, there's no way to get from here to there. Right. That's why that's how a black hole works. Even light can't escape it. Not because it's like slowing down the light as it tries to leave, but because it's bent space in such a way that there's just no path out. Light is just zooming around inside the black hole. So in some ways you can think of it as sort of like a different universe disconnected from our, our space. And so you can imagine then anything that goes on in there. And uh, when experiments can't constrain things, theorists' minds tend to go wild. And so they think about all sorts of crazy stuff that could be inside there. Dancing bears or entire universes. Crazy scientists and nine-year-old boys. Who might grow up to be crazy scientists. All right. Well, that's the answer for uh, Oliver, son of Jorge. And uh, I'll let him know. I'll let him know the answer. You know, if he asks a good question, he's stumped. He's stumped a physicist. Yes, yeah, it's a great question. I'll let him know. If he was Icelandic, <laughs> his last name would be Jorgeson. Jorgeson. <laughs> Jorgeson, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, we have two other awesome questions that we are going to answer about electron identity. I guess is that is that the would be the right topic, and also about dark matter stars, which sounds like a heavy metal band. Slash science fiction movie. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. You know that feeling after you've done a deep spring clean of your house when you realize, wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like how you feel when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, while Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording all this? So it's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Personally, I've used Mint Mobile, and the calls are always so crisp and so clear. All of their plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. So it's time to ditch your overpriced wireless and go with Mint Mobile's limited time deal for three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash universe. That's mintmobile.com slash universe. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash universe. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Slower speeds above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. 
When I take time off to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life to immerse myself in natural beauty and have a unique experience. But you don't have to leave the United States to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. People from Puerto Rico are called Boricuas, but it's not just a name. It's a spirit, a flavor, a rhythm that you can only find in one place on Earth. Puerto Rico. It's embodied by these proud, passionate people, and you'll feel it in every part of the island. When you bask in the warmth of the beaches, when you taste the love in the food, when you embrace the call of adventure, you'll find the Boricua spirit in yourself as well. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. You can forget where you came from and embrace where you are in Puerto Rico. Because your visit ends, but the stories last forever. No passport is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. All right, we are back answering listener questions. And so our next question comes from Yuki from the Netherlands. And he is wondering if electrons have identity crises. That's right. And this particular listener is something of a super fan, writing it to us on Twitter fairly often with insightful questions. And he sent me this one and I thought, Mm. whoa, that's a good question. Let's take it online. (laughs) And so here he is. Hi, Daniel and Jorge. My name is Eugene Rademaker, and I live in the Netherlands, hence the accent. I'm a big fan of your marvelous podcast series, for it makes me understand more of physics, and it makes me think a lot about the universe in general. After listening to your episode about quantum tunneling, the following question came to my mind. If an electron trapped in a well, say, A, suddenly appears in well B, How can physicists tell it's actually the very same electron? I realized that I had the bowling ball, empty swimming pool analogy in my mind when the question suddenly appeared in my well. Thanks for spending time on answering my questions. Bye for now. All right. Thank you, Yugi, for sending this question and also for being a fan of the show. We really appreciate everyone listening out there. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's a really a wonderful question. You know, to me, it goes to the heart of like, what are these particles? What are we talking about? Um, but the way I interpret his question is like, you have an, equi- an electron over here, and physics tells us the electron can then later be over there. But his question is, how do you know it's the same electron? Mm. Right? Because we don't have this sort of notion anymore of a classical path that you can like watch a baseball fly through the air. And when a baseball, you know, when somebody hits a a home run and you watch it fly, you don't ask, like, is that the same baseball or is it suddenly swapped out? But with quantum mechanical particles, because you can't observe them all the way along the path, you just get these snapshots. You can sort of wonder, like, how do you know that's the same electron? Maybe it's from another electron down the street, right? Is this Tom or Harry or Mary or Sally? I I feel like the question is, is there such a thing as an electron? Is there an electron you can see and follow it around? And it has a birth and a you know journey, and then it maybe ends or at some point. Wow, well, are we like? Can you follow an electron around? Are we getting into identity politics now? <laughs> Should those electrons go back <laughs> no, to where they came physics. from? Just identity physics. <laughs> identity we're, we're physics. Not qualified for? Yeah, exactly. Obviously, we're not qualified to d- d- dive into those topics. <laughs> you know, well, that's a it's a famous topic in physics, and it's something that real physicists wonder. And uh, in 1940, this famous physicist, John Wheeler, he had this sort of moment of insight. And I don't know if he was smoking banana peels or what, but he was wondering, like, 
why do all electrons behave the same way? Like you drop an electron in the in the circumstance, it's always going to get repulsed in the same way. It's not like this one's got a little bit more charge and that one's got a little bit more mass. They're all identical. They're not like scoops of ice cream, right? They all have exactly the same properties. And he had this moment of insight. He thought, oh, wait a second, maybe there is just one electron. These are all the same electron. <laughs> what? What do you mean? Like the electrons in my body and the ones in your body, they're all the same? Yeah, yeah, sort of. Um, and I think I think that's actually sort of the answer, is that the electron is not really um, a particle that has an identity. It's sort of like a state of mind or a state of matter, right? Because these days, we don't think quantum mechanically about particles as the fundamental basis of the universe. Instead, we think of fields, right? And particles are just excited states of the field. It's sort of like when you look at the ocean, you know, and you try to follow a wave, right? A wave is not the basic unit of the ocean. It's the water, right? The wave is just like, you know, the ocean has got excited a little bit by the wind and it comes and it goes and there's more waves behind it. It's just a... It's just the motion of the ocean. <laughs> That's right, exactly. And so in that same way, you can think of electrons not as like, here's a little chunk of matter, a little like piece of the universe we're going to follow around, but it's just like a momentary excitation of this sort of hard to think about thing called the electron field, which fills the universe. And when it gets a little bit of energy somewhere, you call that an electron. It's not an object. It's kind of a wiggle of an object. Yes, exactly. It's a wiggle of an object. And, uh, you know, this goes back to that other question we tried to answer. Is a photon a particle or a wave, for example? And I think I said on that podcast that it's sort of neither and sort of both. And really, it's something else weird and fundamental that we just cannot understand by making analogies, right? Analogies from our macroscopic experience, the things that we're familiar with, just don't work because we've never seen anything like that before. Well, it turns out you can apply the same ideas to an electron also, right? An electron is both a particle and a wave and both, and neither, and something else totally weird. It's really just the excitation of a quantum field. And, and the reason, the reason actually that we came up with quantum fields, the reason that this whole development is, is, is progress, right, and not just confusion, is that it helped us think about the way particles are created and destroyed. Because when an electron is flying through um, the universe, it doesn't just sit around happily. It generates photons, and those photons turn into electrons and positrons, which turn back into photons. Every electron is actually surrounded by like a fuzzball of virtual particles, photons and electrons and things popping in out of the vacuum. What do you mean? Like a, a, an electron is, is not always an electron. It's constantly kind of fuzzy and morphing and changing. Yes, exactly. It's constantly morphing and changing. And it's surrounded by a, a ball of, of like almost an infinite number of low energy particles that are being created and destroyed around it, right? And so we came up with this alternative mathematical formulation, quantum field theory, because it's really hard to follow the path of an individual particle through this sort of probabilistic storm of things that's happening. And it's much easier to just think about the field that's generating all these particles. And then a particle creation and destruction is much more natural in quantum field theory than in old quantum mechanics where you try to tra tr follow an individual particle as if it was a baseball. So we had to sort of let go of this whole idea of particles having identities, particles having paths, um, and, and just think of them as momentary oscillations in this field. Well, I think there's several questions here. Like, um, 
you know, maybe uh, maybe he, Yugi was also thinking of the wave analogy, maybe. And so maybe his question was, you know, just like you can follow a wave in the ocean, you know, if you if I make a ripple in the in a lake or something, or if a wave is made out into the ocean, you can you can kind of follow that wave, right? Like that's wave A. I'm gonna call it Sally, <laughs> and you can follow Sally as it moves across the, the Pacific, right? You sort of can, but what if Sally looks exactly yeah. like all the other waves, and there's billions of them? And you look away, and then you look back, and you wonder, which of those waves is Sally? Hmm. That's sort of the situation <laughs> well, it's, it's we're the in. the one that, um, like, if I see it at point A, and I see it at point B one second later, well, hmm. That's his question, it's right? It's the one that's at point C another second later, basically, <laughs> right? Could be, or could be that along the way it got turned into something else and then got turned back into a wave, and is it the same wave then? But it, right. it, it, it almost always is, isn't it? Like... Do electrons really just transform to something else? Constantly. When we're not looking? Constantly. Even while we're looking, electrons are constantly in flux. Yes, exactly. You know, there's that... Even the ones like in my body. Even the ones in your body, right they're now. not special. Sorry to inform you. Um, you know, there's that ancient <laughs> philosophical question, right? There's like some, some ancient Greek ship, and every time it comes into harbor, it, uh, it's lost a piece and they repair it. And then after five years, there are mm -hmm. no pieces of the original ship, and they wonder like... Is it still that same ship? You know, if it's made out of all new pieces, um, and it's sort of that question, but it's the particle version of that question. And uh, uh, wait, what if it rides the same wave though? <laughs> <laughs> that just that just blows the Greeks' mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I'd say in this in the same way, there there is really no particle identity. Um, I don't I don't know that I've smoked enough banana peels to say they're all the same electron. But I think sort of what he's saying is that they're all manifestations of the same field, right? There's really just one electron field and it, it, it appears in lots of different places in the universe. But then what's really going on? Because, you know, I feel pretty consistent, you know, like I am this way sort of now and, and, and I'm sort of the same way a second ago. I think that's my perception. <laughs> Are you saying that? You know, I could have changed into something totally different between now and the next second that I am conscious about. Yes, but the Jorge-ness is not about the stuff that you're made up of, but the arrangement of those particles, right? Just like that ship is not about the pieces of wood that went into it, but how they're put together and what it's doing and, you know, how it spends its time. And so in the same way, you were a constantly frothing mass of quantum mechanical particles, but that's not what makes you, you. What makes you you is the way they're arranged and the way they live their life. Well, I am a constant frothing mass of something, for sure. <laughs> it's a really hard question. And, you know, this is a question which is definitely on the philosophy side of the threshold. And something I love about physics is that it bumps up against philosophy so often because there are deep consequences to the answers of physics questions. And so I've always been really interested in in, in the philosophical implications of particle physics. Um, but I have to say, yeah. it's not something that most of, us, most of us particle physicists are actually qualified to talk about, even though we do pontificate long-windedly on it. Oh, I see. It's, it's one of these questions that uh, the answer is kind of like, um, it depends on the, what the definition of is, is. Kind of. <laughs> exactly. Unfortunately, I have to go there. But <laughs> yeah, I think it applies in this case. Yeah, it's uh, a, right. It's, no, like, it's right. sort of like it depends on what you mean by having an identity or being the same electron. Exactly. You could dig 
into that forever and smoke banana peels and not necessarily make any progress. Exactly. Yeah, or cigars. Or cigars. Know. But it's a really fun question. So thank you for asking it. Yeah. Well, what's the what would you say is the answer then? Uh, do electrons have an identity or can you have the same electron? The answer seems to be... I would say no. I would say identity is a macroscopic quality that we like to attribute to things because we're used to it, because we're familiar with it. We expect it to... to um, we expect also tiny particles to have it, but they don't. And and so I think it's odd and uh, and it's, it's, it, it tells us more about how we think than about how the universe works. So you're saying at the microscopic level, at the individual electron level, these things we can't apply because is, things are just constantly changing and frothing and... Yeah, exactly. I don't think it has any meaning at the microscopic level. All right. Well, thank you, Hugh, from the Netherlands for that question. Please keep listening. I hope we answered your question. <laughs> we answered your question to your satisfaction. Uh, so we have one more question, uh, and this one comes from Mexico or Mexico about dark matter stars. But first, let's take a quick break. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time off to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life to immerse myself in natural beauty and have a unique experience. But you don't have to leave the United States to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. People from Puerto Rico are called Boricuas, but it's not just a name. It's a spirit, a flavor, a rhythm that you can only find in one place on Earth. Puerto Rico. It's embodied by these proud, passionate people, and you'll feel it in every part of the island. When you bask in the warmth of the beaches, when you taste the love in the food, when you embrace the call of adventure, you'll find the Boricua spirit in yourself as well. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. You can forget where you came from and embrace where you are in Puerto Rico. Because your visit ends, but the stories last forever. No passport is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. The financial universe out there can seem like a vast place full of scary mysteries and exciting possibilities, but it can also be overwhelming to navigate, especially when you're first starting out in life. It feels sometimes like just one wrong turn could send you hurtling endlessly towards a financial black hole. But don't worry, you don't have to navigate the financial universe on your own. With the right tools, you can master the financial universe and chart your course with confidence. Intuit helps you navigate the financial universe through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit has helped a hundred million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right, it's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, 
eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, our last question of today comes from Ben, who is sending his question from Mexico. And he has a question about dark matter stars. Hi, Daniel and Jorge. This is Benjamin from Mexico. And I was wondering if the dark matter has all these gravitational properties as the regular matter, why haven't astrophysicists discovered yet a big celestial bo body made of dark matter, like a dark matter star or something big that we can indirectly know it's there? Thank you. All right. That's a pretty cool question. Why aren't there dark stars? Besides a, in, in comic books. I think that's the theme <laughs> of a comic book villain. Yeah, exactly. If not, it should be. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. No, it's an awesome question. And the way I interpret it is that he's wondering, why can't we tell that dark matter is there? Why hasn't dark matter coalesced into some sort of object that we could then pinpoint? Because I think he maybe is frustrated at the sort of diffusiveness of dark matter. We know it's there. We know it's sort of everywhere. But we can't seem to say exactly where it is and why not. Is that how you interpret the question? Well, why does it stay so fuzzy? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And yeah. I think that the key thing to understand here is remember that gravity is really, really weak. And it's the only way we can see right. dark matter so far. The only way we can feel it is through its gravity. And, and so it takes a huge amount of stuff to notice something just from gravity. Remember that gravity is so weak that you can feel the Earth's gravity, but you can't feel the gravity of your car or your house, even though there is a gravitational pull there. It takes some huge body to even feel it, right? Well, maybe we should recap in, um, a little bit about dark matter, right? So we know that dark matter feels gravity, right? That's how we sort of know it's there because it's pulling us around the galaxy, but it doesn't feel electromagnetic forces, which means we can't see it or touch it, right? That's right, exactly. It doesn't give off light. It doesn't reflect light. We can't see it using any right. of those normal methods that we usually use to see stuff. Right, but it does feel gravity. And so I think maybe Ben's question is, if dark matter feels gravity, why hasn't it clumped together out in space? Because it's attracted to itself, right? Isn't it attracted to itself? Dark matter is attracted to itself by gravity. Absolutely, yes. And it has clumped together, right? Dark matter is not evenly mm -hmm. spread throughout the universe. Dark matter has clumped together mm. thanks to gravity and it's formed these big blobs. And it's in fact bec only because dark matter has clumped together to make these blobs that we have galaxies and we are alive. Because without dark matter's gravitational pull, there wouldn't be enough gravity to hold the galaxies together. And we've done simulations and seen that in universes without dark matter, it takes a lot longer for gravity to pull all this luminous stuff together to make stars and planets and galaxies. So dark matter does make um, structure, it does make objects, but those objects are sort of big and diffuse and, and they're sort of the size of the galaxy. And, and you might ask, well, how do we know that the dark matter inside the galaxy hasn't also clumped together to make, you know, star-sized stuff or planet-sized stuff the way normal matter has, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we don't know the answer to that. 
right? And the reason we don't know is because mm. we can't see dark matter in enough detail. Like it's totally possible that the distribution of dark matter in the galaxy is is either A, totally smoothly spread out, right? B, sort of, you like, know... Like a cloud. Like a cloud. Now we know it's denser towards the center and less dense towards the, the outside, but it could still be like a, like a big cloud, right? Or it could right, be that there's structure, that it's clumped together to make you know, a bunch of dense points, just the way normal matter has. So there could be dark matter stars. Yes. Or yeah. dark matter planets. Exactly. But the only way to see them would be through gravity. And it's really hard to see a the gravity from like one planet or the gravity from one star, right? Unless it's really close by. Like if there were dark matter stars and a dark matter star passed near our solar system, then we could detect it the way we detect black holes, Right. Their black um, holes are invisible. We detect them from their gravity. Sometimes we detect black holes because of the X-rays that are produced from compressed gas nearby. But a lot of, of black holes we see through their gravity. But you need to be a pretty big black hole to detect its gravity from far away or to see its gravitational effect on nearby stuff, right? And in fact, there are a few of these things that we found and they have a pretty silly name. You ready for it? Uh, always yeah. physically names. Yeah, no, they're called. That's what I live for. Um, back a long time ago, before we knew whether dark matter was a thing, people were wondering if there were just big clumps of normal matter that was sort of hidden out there, and they gave them this name: massive compact halo objects. And the acronym for that is M A C H O. Right, so machos, <laughs> not nachos. Nachos are a totally different thing. These are machos. Right. And so... That's not physicists overcompensating for anything <laughs> at all. Not at all. No, and so people went out there and looking for these things, like can we find dark blobs out there, dark condensed blobs out there that might be responsible for all the missing mass, right? And they did find a bunch right. of them. Not nearly enough to account for all the dark matter, but they found a bunch of them. They would find them like eclipsing stars or bending the path of other objects. Um, and so we know that there are dark objects out there. Some of them could be dark matter, right? Some of them could be. So it, mm. it's totally possible that dark matter has clumped these objects together. We just don't have the gravitational sensitivity to see them because they're too small, oh. essentially, and gravity is so weak. Like a, our ability to notice or feel or see dark matter is not at the planet or at the star level. It's only at sort of the galaxy level. Yeah, right? exactly. A little bit less than the galaxy. We can we can get some sense of where they are based on how rotations vary as a function of the radius from the center of the galaxy. But roughly, yeah, much more at the mm -hmm. galaxy level than the star level. But but it's fun to think wow. about. Like, imagine what would happen. What would happen if you had a huge blob of dark matter and it coalesced into sort of a tight blob? Like, would it make a star? Like a planet. You know, in... We, when we say a star, we sort of mean something that's big enough, has enough gravity that it's pushed the stuff together that begins to fuse and release energy, right? And so another interesting question mm -hmm. is like, what would happen if you squeeze that much dark matter together? Would interesting things happen like, um, you know, elements fusing and releasing photons and things like that? Well, we don't know, but we know it's not made of elements, right? It's not made of atoms. It's made of some, some other kind of matter. And the only interaction right. we know it has is gravity. So as far as we know, it would just squeeze and squeeze and squeeze and squeeze. And there's no repulsion, right? The thing that keeps a star or a planet from immediately becoming a black hole are the other forces it feels like electromagnetism, which and, and the strong force, which fuels fusion, right, which keeps a star exploding, 
It keeps it from collapsing immediately. So if dark matter has no other forces, then every time it gets to be a pretty dense clump, it's just going to turn into a dark matter black hole because that's it's just gravity. Mm. But if dark matter does feel some other force, maybe some new force we've never seen before that only affects dark matter on dark matter interactions, mm. then maybe you know clumping a bunch of the dark matter together could spark some sort of dark matter interaction which could release like dark photons. We're just wildly speculating here because we just really don't know what happens when dark matter bumps into dark matter. Dark photons and dark light. <laughs> yes, exactly. It sounds like a, um, all good comic book characters. <laughs> yes, right. Today we've been exploring the connection between physics, philosophy, and physics and comics books. It's a trifecta. Um, I think, you know, maybe that's where Ben's question came from, you know, like, you know, we know dark matter feels gravity. So why hasn't it clumped into dark matter black holes? You know, why is it still kind of diffused and and not um, not more noticeable, you know? Right. Does that mean that, you know, these are alternatives you mentioned are maybe probably true, you the know, that there are other forces or... There are maybe other mechanisms going on inside of a dark matter. Absolutely. I think a lot of physicists believe that there must be some other kind of force that dark matter feels, not just gravity. And there's sort of complicated arguments for that based on what happened in the early universe and how some matter and dark matter turned back and forth into itself. We have indirect evidence of that, that happening, which suggests there must be some other force that dark matter feels, but we haven't figured that out yet at all. It's really, it's very indirect arguments. But there is one thing that keeps dark matter from collapsing sort of quickly into a black hole, and that's our old friend rotation. Like one thing that keeps the galaxy from collapsing into a black hole is that it's spinning. And so that keeps the stars from mm. falling in just the way spinning the Earth spinning around the sun keeps it from falling into the sun, right? It's in orbit. If you have a huge blob of dark matter and it's rotating, that rotation keeps it from collapsing gravitationally into a black hole. And so... That's something that dark matter can do, even if, even if it has no other interactions. But yeah, I think right. that it's totally possible that dark matter has formed really dense blobs inside our galaxy. And it's possible that there's new interactions doing weird stuff inside those dark matter objects that we have no idea about. But I think what you're saying maybe is that we, we sort of haven't seen that yet, right? Like if, if we are surrounded by dark matter stars or dark matter, you know, giant asteroids, you know, and one of them came through our solar system, it would, we would notice it, right? Like we would notice all the other planets going, whoa, gravitationally. Yes, exactly. That's the kind of thing we would notice for sure. I mean, we noticed Oumuamua, right? This tiny little rock coming through from, from deep space and passing through our solar system with no gravitational interaction at all. That was, a, but it was reflective. But imagine some really dense, heavy object that perturbed the path of the planets that we would definitely notice, yeah. It would have to be pretty big, though, because mm. gravity is pretty weak. So, like, some random rock flying through the universe, we wouldn't notice. It'd have to be, you know, like, it have to be a pretty significant object. I'm not sure exactly how massive, but some significant fraction of the mass of the sun, at the very least. Yeah, we would notice it, right? It would totally disrupt our solar system. Yeah, absolutely. But there mm. could be a lot of these dark matter blobs out there, and just none of them have passed through the solar system because... The galaxy is huge, right? And uh, there's lots of blobs mm. out there that that are made of normal matter that don't pass through our solar system. Doesn't mean they're not out there. Right. I mean, there could be a giant banana-shaped 
massive dark matter out there. <laughs> That's <laughs> Just right. Just waiting for us to slip on. That's right. You're going to tie all the questions together. What if there's a banana-shaped <laughs> mass of dark matter yet. creating a solar system-sized black hole and we're in it? <laughs> Could we tell if there was another one that was identical? <laughs> all right. Well, I guess that uh, Ben's answer is that uh, there could be dark matter stars and planets or things out there. We just we just can't see them yet. That's right. We just don't have the, the, the right glasses to see it more sharply, right? That's right. Yep. Um, and it's not clear that we ever will because we don't know what glasses to put on or if there are glasses that you could even potentially theoretically put on to see this stuff. Well, obviously, we just need dark glasses. <laughs> I wear my sunglasses at night. I don't know about you. All right. Well, once again, thank you, listeners, for sending us your questions. We uh, love to interact with you online. And so please follow us and please tell your friends about this podcast. That's right. And if you're listening to us talk about something in physics and you have a question that pops into your mind, please share it with us. The reason we're doing this podcast is to clarify these things and explain them to you. And so if there's something we've missed, we want to get on it. Yeah. And we'll answer it even if you are not our sons. And, so. Unless you're on Instagram. In that case, sorry. <laughs> in that case, you're out of luck. Do you have any sons on Instagram if you're not you are, aware if of? If you're trendy and like the rest of the universe, then maybe you should ask the question on Twitter. <laughs> That's solid advice. All right. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in. If you still have a question after listening to all these explanations, please drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Daniel and Jorge. That's one word. Or email us at feedback at danielandjorge.com. Thanks for listening. And remember that Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island. It becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. 
Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.